Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to hell. Damn, it seems like every month just the world keeps getting more intense. Things just keep coming to a head, Robbie. It's uh, pretty overwhelming, the state of the world today, isn't it? <laughs> it's just yeah, like, it really man. is. You know, the makers of Grand Theft Auto said that they wouldn't even know what to do now in this era to, to sort of capture the essence of it. They're mostly talking about Trump. You know, they're taking the cop out that they couldn't, they didn't know how to satire Trump or whatever. But in a way, I was trying to picture what a Grand Theft Auto game would look like to satire this era. And I, right. I, I agree with them only in the, in the sense that it would be very hard to satire the actual era we're living in now and to make it more ridiculous than like what's actually happening. Like it is, it is really truth is stranger than fiction. Like right now it still feels that way. Still feels like it's getting weirder and weirder every day. Well, like I, I remember I was seeing Joe Rogan's stand up comedy once and he was saying, you know, people say to comedians, Oh, it must be just, you know, incredibly easy to satirize Trump and to make jokes about the era that we're living in. And he's like, no, I mean, he's like, Trump is a kaleidoscope. He's never even just a stationary thing. It's like, it's always changing. The rhetoric is always like one step ahead of everyone. Um, and so it is really difficult to encapsulate in a joke or any sort of comedy. I mean, look how fucking pathetic Saturday Night Live is. And yeah. The Daily Show. It's like all they can do is just the most bottom of the barrel generic babyish humor Yep. about what's going on. There's nothing intelligent whatsoever. We've talked about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, and we've also talked about in the Christchurch massacre, just this kind of new coalescence of troll culture plus neo-Nazism, um, you know, Islamophobic mass murder. And that's really, that's really, really bizarre. And we're seeing it all over the world. You know, we talked about how Trump has really changed reality and uh, look no further than like Bolsonaro. You know, uh, on one hand, he's paving the rainforest, um, wanting to execute gay people, and then he's tweeting out, what is a golden shower? Yeah, what, um, what was that even about? So that, that's what's happening. Can you explain to me? I, I didn't understand. Was he upset? And he actually tweeted a video of like gay porn golden shower, right? When he said that? Wasn't that what... I mean, that, that, not in that tweet. In that tweet, it was just a standalone, what is a golden shower? And he was just like, he was trying to get people outraged at the fact that people engage in like piss fetish? What was the purpose? Whatever it was, <laughs> I don't know. But whatever it was, it was so over the top and like Trump-esque. I mean, you know what I mean? It reminds me of that. Was that in Uganda where that one leader or politician was trying to say that gay people eat poop? And then he sh remember that he, yeah, sh and he, he showed like, a video yeah, of like right. of like uh, coprophilia, like video, like porn or something. Very. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I just yeah. I mean, even that's just an example of how shit just getting so off the rails and weird. I just can't even believe it. But sorry, I know we have so much other shit to cover. <laughs> I know it's just it's surreal. It really is surreal. I guess that's the best word to describe it. Um, you and I did an interview on Brass Check TV together with Ken McCarthy. Great interview. Check it out. Uh, support Brass Check. It's an incredible organization. Very important. And we were really honored to do that interview. So shout out to them. Support Ken's a great work, dude. Um, and check it out. Yeah Ken, yeah, Ken is a really interesting guy. 
Uh, he's got a really unique take on things. Um, he's got an interesting history. Uh, so definitely don't sleep on Brass Check. I, I think a lot of people haven't even heard of it. I mean, I don't see it pop up very often in my social media feed. So I'm a strong advocate of, uh, of checking out his work and his channel. Yeah, and I have a couple of interviews up. Uh, Bill Binney, he was kind of the proto-Edward Snowden. He was the one who created the algorithm for Thin Thread, which turned out to be Stellar Wind, the warrantless surveillance program implemented by the Bush administration that's now taken over the entire world, um, collecting just you know trillions of messages, uh, transcriptions, just all of that shit that's going on. It's a pretty... Pretty a sobering interview with this guy because, uh, you know, he just talks about what he went through and, and where we're at today with the bulk collection and the retroactive prosecution, um, you know, where DEA, FBI can use the NSA bulk collection data and create a framework around someone to retroactively frame them for any crime that they want to yeah. pin them on. Yeah. And on top of that, just planting, I mean, it reminded me of Matt DeHart because he talks about how you can plant just anything on people's computers. Yeah. Or what about Bruce Ivins? Even if all those things that leaked about him are true, all those weird emails he wrote to people, just being able to go back into all of his, his communications, you can really paint any, and especially if they have a little bit of mental illness or a history of depression, you can paint them as a criminal or someone who is going to snap. I think fairly easily. That's what I don't think most people realize that you can really do a number on someone and make them appear to the public as being an unhinged criminal. And that's all that you need, really. Well, it's exactly yeah, what Bill Binney's talking about. Right. And he said the day after 9-11, this is in Watch Dogs didn't bark also, but I mean, the day after 9-11, they go back to NSA and just kind of the solemn silence until the management said, we're going to milk the fucking cow for 15 years. Like that, that was the sentiment of course. <laughs> higher ups at the NSA in the immediate wake of the largest terrorist attack on U.S. soil. Like how sick is that? How sadistic do you have to be to actually be talking about that? It's a gold When it was, it was your fault. Rush. It was like literally part of their culp. I mean, they are complicit <laughs> yeah. management who wasn't sharing that information. So it's pretty astounding you know, and here we are being mocked for even discussing these things. So, well, yeah, you know. and Bill Binney, I mean, speaking of 9-11, he's one of the only people from that orbit who has sort of come out and said things that he questions a lot of aspects of the 9-11 official story now. And he's also um, come out on a limb and said that he doesn't believe and he doesn't think there's any evidence that the Russians hacked the DNC and leaked the emails to WikiLeaks. And I feel like you'd notice that these sort of NATSEC, you know, crypto uh, investigative journalism community that used to hoist him up originally doesn't talk about him very much anymore because they feel, I think they feel that his m new positions are too controversial for what they're about now. So I think he's definitely someone that people should still pay attention to. Another interview, uh, Peter Phillips, the former director of Project Censored, I interviewed him for Empire Files about his new book, Giants. It's an expose of the 0.001%. The 200, again, 200 people who control $51 trillion of wealth in the world. Um, incredibly fascinating insight on who holds the reins of global capital. Just 
just mind-blowing stuff, you guys. You really need to listen to it. It's only 20 minutes long, and we you know, worked really hard covering it with a lot of B-roll and kind of illustrating his points. So please take the time to check that out. Um, he, he is who inspired me even to create Media Roots. I saw him speaking you know, 15 years ago, it, it, probably now, just about censorship and, and how the corporate media is structured and managed and controlled. And I was just completely blown away. And, you know, that's what kind of started me on the journey that I am now. So it was an incredible honor. I, I love him to death. And I really am inspired by his work. Peter Phillips, really quick, in case people don't know, we've mentioned this a few times on our show, but uh, Bohemian Grove has been mostly largely associated with like crazy conspiracy culture and right wing satanic panic people because of Alex Jones. Uh, Peter Phillips actually went to Bohemian Grove and did some extremely important investigative reports about it uh, before Alex Jones sort of took it and sensationalized it. So um, it's a real thing. He's written about it. Um, It is a gathering of the elites um, in Northern California and even just for that reason, I, I sort of will always value what Peter has done because he's and his new book is incredible. I mean, it's it's a it's basically almost like an encyclopedia. It has, it's filled to the brim with detail. I'm not even done reading it yet, but uh, you got it for me as a gift. It's not some abstract notion about who's destroying the planet. I mean, they have names and they have addresses. And this is the first time that what he calls the transnational capitalist class and the activist core of that of of that group is listed they're named, they're called out. And, you know, there's entities that we should have as household names like BlackRock, G4S, the largest private employer, um, second to Walmart that is privatizing the planet. I mean, basically one of the, the insights gleaned from the interview is just neoliberalism and this privatization model that's taking hold over the entire world is an extension of capitalism because that's what happens when you don't have any more places to grow and protect capital. You have to just privatize like water and highways and air <laughs> um, because, and that's why we're in the state of permanent war. I mean, it's protect the capital interests of these investment firms and these giants. It's again, sobering, but uh, very, very insightful and important to, to understand what we're actually up against. So and I, I love the idea yeah. behind the book. And I would almost encourage people to like take Peter's lead and this similar concept and almost dive deeper into like different categories. Someone should make a blog or a watchdog organization about Silicon Valley using the same model, list all their names, list all their locations, their addresses, everything. Um, Same with defense contractors, people involved in those companies. Separating it in some way might help people focus and, and sort of attack you know, channel the right energy. And what, what Peter's done is an amazing roadmap, I think, for activists for decades to come. Really, really important shit he's doing. Yeah, the only the only thing that I disagree with the book on is that, you know, we can lobby to these people and that they will change course. I don't know if there's any kind of precedent in in the history of human civilization where we've kind of lobbied to the elite ruling class and they've changed like seeing the state of the world. I mean, they're buying up Elysiums. They are creating, you know, um, their own structures to try to escape what they know is inevitably going to come. They're not, you know, pathing out the future and saying, oh, you know, we should really step back and, and actually stop, you know, hoarding wealth. No, it's the opposite. They know that, you know, the pitchforks are coming for the plutocrats and they're actually doing what they can to go underground. So that's the only disagreement that I have um, it's kind of the Ralph Nader, 
you know, uh, his book about only the billionaires can save us. And I just disagree. I think that it's going to be coming from mobilizations of the masses and popular movements that are going to force the hand of those in power. We've already seen what happens when the billionaires try to save us. Mm-hmm. I mean, Piero Midiar is a really fantastic example of, I feel like, the Ralph Nader theory in play. It's like, that's what it's mm-hmm. going to look like, people. That's, so if, that's, if you want more of that, then yeah. I mean, that, that model... Yeah, if you want be, more of buying up all the leaks yeah. and slowly doling them out over like five years. Yep. Last plug is the long-awaited anticipation for the release of the documentary that we launched the entire Empire Files fundraiser for, The Gaza Fights for Freedom, about the Great March of Return. It's been over a year since, you know, Palestinians have been marching and getting shot every Friday and sniped and gunned down by Israeli snipers. So we collaborated with the team in Gaza. We are very excited to put this documentary out next month. But the trailer is out now. Please go to our YouTube channel, check out Empire Files, subscribe. And please subscribe to the mailing lists of Media Roots and Empire Files on both of our websites, mediaroots.org and theempirefiles.tv. Facebook is totally trash. You cannot reach anyone, even if you're paying for ads. Twitter is now downhill. I mean, it's gotten to the point where we have to go back to mailing lists. We really just need to go peer to peer here, just like we did when the internet first was started. And that's fine. I mean, I think in in a way that's a more we should have been doing that, leaning on that more, because what we've learned is a lot of these social media services that seem to help lift us up at a time, at a crucial time. Um, are now essentially acting to sabotage our work and not, not in, and I'm not saying directly, I mean, algorithmically, like across the board, right. Um, to suppress yeah. us and they're essentially a trap. So do not, hundred percent, cannot stress enough. Do not rely on these companies, even if for video streaming, figure out another way to mirror your videos or to prepare for a YouTube takedown. It's just a smart, I almost think it's just as smart as backing up your own hard drive. Why would you rely on someone else's corporation to keep your work uh, safe? It's, it's actually ludicrous when you think about it like that. You need, at I'm the very least, keep backups. I'm just worried about all the backups. Google Docs. Oh, that too. Yeah, I'm worried well, about all the too. Google Docs that I've created. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and those are actually fairly yeah. easy to back up. So Abby has a, you know, just yeah. thought of a good idea. Go back up your Google Docs now on a physical computer, like on a hard drive. No right. more cloud shit. Right. Only you only use cloud if it, you also have a mirror on a physical, a media device somewhere in your home. I, really, I mean, I don't think there's a safer way to do it than that. So. Yeah, and I think that this Gaza trailer is being shadow banned. I mean, I know that this is some conservative trope that everyone from Owen Benjamin to Cernovich keeps belaboring in a fake manner. But honestly, Palestine stuff is being overtly censored and banned outright and we already know that facebook's doing that they've literally said it so uh that's why i think this trailer is not doing as well as it should be i mean it's an incredibly cinematic trailer it's very powerful and it really encapsulates the great march and and razan al-najjar's mother is telling the story so please watch it and share it and and help us overcome this censorship and just from my my perspective watching it, it it one of the things that struck me most about is that it looks like the the cinematography in it was incredibly like high quality and it feels like you're inside inside this actual march you know on the ground with these protesters is it going to be like a full length thing or or yeah 
Okay. I think so. I think so. We're, we're trying to figure out now if we want to do it in sections or if we just want to release a full-length thing. But thank you, Robbie. That's what the intent was behind the trailer and just the documentary is showing there's no skirmishes, there's no clashes like they like to allege when they justify just gunning and sniping dead Palestinians. It is a very ambient, peaceful setting, and then every 10 minutes or so, there'll be just a sniper shot. You know, you'll hear this reverberating gunshot and you'll just see someone else goes down. Someone else goes down. And that that's the eerie nature of what this is. And we wanted to really show that. Um, and, and it is very scary and it's not at all what's being painted in the mainstream media, as we know. So thanks, Robbie. And definitely check that out again. Subscribe to the mailing lists to Media Roots and Empire Files. Cannot stress that enough. Uh, so just going back to the the surreality of just how weird things have become. You know, we're only a few months into 2019 and Trump the other day, he actually tweeted out a very strange propaganda video that was intercut with footage of African-Americans wearing MAGA hats, like a lot of footage. It just really leaned on that (laughs) my black friend kind of paradigm that right, like dumb right wingers think makes them look not racist. Very, very ridiculous video. Of course, it leans heavily on the North Korean summit photo op that we knew that Trump, you know, loved. And that was mainly what that was about for him. But what struck me the most about the video were two things. The video itself seems professionally put together like someone like professionally filmed this thing with high quality cameras and it was professionally edited but it was exported using the wrong settings the video has an inconsistent choppy jumpy frame rate who the fuck does trump hire to do such a bad job on his official white house videos i mean is this it almost to me feels like this is just more evidence that trump actually doesn't listen to anybody and to top it off the dark knight rises music copyrighted music by Warner Brothers uh, Hans Zimmer, who did a, scored the last Christopher Nolan Batman movie, was the background music in the video of this propaganda video to show how amazing Trump was. Wow. Um, so, of course, the media picked up on this. I was listening to the music in the video, and I was like, why does that sound so familiar to me? So I was like, that sounds like it's from the Chris Nolan Batman movie. So I went back and was looking on YouTube, and I found the scene, Abby. It's the scene where when Batman comes back to Gotham to fight Bane and he lights the Gotham bridge on fire with the Batman logo. What? And this was an official White official House video. This was just video. retweeting or... Co- okay, wow. And of course, wow. uh, Hans Zimmer and, and Christopher Nolan aren't going to want, you know, w- wouldn't give permission for Trump to use this music. So the media immediately f- figured this out also. I thought I was the smart one to like find this out before anyone else said no. They had already reported it like hours ago and it got taken down on Twitter. It had a copyright strike takedown. Literally one of the only times I've ever seen or I I mean, do you know of any other time where Trump's tweet was actually removed by Twitter? Like that's the first no, time. No, but that's I know good about. to know that it has to it has to use music from like a yeah. big Hollywood production for it to be taken down, not incitement to violence no. or you know, no, and anybody else Nothing would have like gotten that. away with using the music. I mean, I would have gotten away with it, but because it was just hit, it's the president tweeting it that immediate. That's what's so odd. It's like, wouldn't there be someone who works for him who'd be like, hey, Mr. President, we need to use music we have the copyright for or just permission to use. Otherwise, this is going to go out to millions of people and they might take it down. It's just odd that that there's no filter that that goes through that someone would tell explain that to him. I, that's what strikes me as that this is still on some level Trump is just 
not listening to his like just regular like advice, like social media advisors or something. Like who did he hire? I don't. I wonder if he even. Weird. I mean, remember he like didn't fill like dozens of positions. Oh, and maybe the, he doesn't have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe he just like has someone who's just. I don't know. Like he hired someone from the Gateway Pundit. Yeah. Like a Jim yeah. Hoft intern to like make up. And then like they upload, <laughs> they like didn't up, uh, export it with the right keyframe settings. I mean, when I say inconsistent, choppy, jumpy frame rate, I can't stress that enough. It's not just that it looks choppy <laughs> or a low frame rate. It looks like of someone uploaded, exported the video incorrectly where it like jumps around. The f- it's jarringly choppy. It's an inconsistently choppy frame rate. So what the fuck? Well, it's not that hard to export Jim a video Hoffman, to Twitter. Jim Hofton and Trump are kindred spirits anyway because they both are convinced that solar energy stops working when the sun goes down and and wind energy stops working when the wind isn't strong. It's like this is how dumb they are, dude. Or like, they can just you, Can you imagine? Yeah, or they just know that their own or it just shows how much they actually disrespect their own audience. Maybe they don't even believe that, and they know their audiences are stupid enough to believe it. Either one, I mean. I mean, I actually think they do believe it, but yeah, that would be even weirder if they like. I, I just, I just can't. Um, I can't anymore. So yeah, that's where we're at. In other news, I mean, just other Trump news. His State Department is following in the footsteps of the neoconservatives and Hillary Clinton. Um, they have now declared the Iranian Revolutionary Guard an arm of their official military uh, as a terrorist organization. This is the same controversial neocon resolution in 2007 that then-Senator Hillary Clinton voted for that was declaring the Iranian Revolutionary Guard terrorist organization. This didn't end up passing, but it's just another weird example of Trump doing exactly what Hillary Clinton probably would have done. I mean, I don't actually know if she would have even been going after Iran like he is right now. I mean, the amount that his presidency is in bed with Israel and the Netanyahu administration, I think far exceeds what even a Hillary Clinton presidency would be doing right now. And I think that's all wrapped up in why this is so, they're getting so aggressive towards Iran too. Do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I think that we're still going to see a large, uh, some confrontation with Iran. That's clearly what the next step is. I've heard really scary assessments that there could be a mini um, nuke be used against Iran without fear of full-blown retribution from, you know, full-blown nuclear war, let's say, from Russia or China. I mean, there are so many things that are in the works, aside from the intense rhetoric, aside from pulling out of the nuclear agreement. Um, it just seems like every day we're charting a very dangerous path and escalating something. Something is going to happen before this term is up. And it just makes me remember that odd time period during the first term of the Obama administration where we heard talk by sec- then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton that nothing's off the table with Iran. And there was even, mm-hmm. like, leaks and rumors about a bunker buster nuke being, like, discussed. Do you remember that? No. That's very scary. Yeah, bunker but like, to, like, somehow, br- like break through the, you know, the bunker shell of like a nuclear facility in Iran that was like secret and underground or something. A non-existent nuclear facility. I guess so. I mean, so (laughs) this, it's, you just have to wonder why, where does that come from? I mean, is that, is that the military industrial complex pushing pieces around? Is that the neocon think tanks? It's just strange that that bubbled up then and now it's coming back. 
I mean, like you said, where did that even come from? This idea of using like tactical nukes on Iran. I've heard that too. Mm-hmm. Like where mm-hmm. did, where, where, why, who is floating that around? I mean, it's, it's really creepy. Well, Trump ordered the, I mean, he purchased like mini nukes that were half the size of the Hiroshima nuke, which is yes. an interesting thing to do because on top of upgrading the nuclear arsenal with like a trillion dollar upgrade, you know, Russia's downsizing their nuclear arsenal. Russia actually downsized their military budget last mm-hmm. year. So these things are very worrisome. And I don't know if it just got floated from the actual purchase of this new grade weapon. But yeah, it Great does question. seem like there is something at play here. Yeah, but it, but it could just be Trump. You know, he's carrying around that big stick. He just wants to scare people. Right. He wants right. people to think he'll right. use force. But Robbie, that's what brings peace. Yeah. Big stick approach. Buying up all the mini nukes. Yep. No, it does. Um, and I guess, you know, talking about bringing in peace, InfoWars host or founder, Alex Jones, this is an actual headline from his website from a couple of weeks ago. Quote, Alex Jones calls for invasion to save Venezuela and the Western Hemisphere. This is an actual in- official InfoWars headline. Calls for invasion. He did a 30-minute rant on how we need to take out Maduro the rat, he kept calling him, and, quote, kill a bunch of people in Venezuela to show these people that we mean business. You know, it is funny because even, like, Ann Coulter and some of these other right-wing pundits are just nonstop talking shit about Trump right now. They don't, they're not even, like, saying he should invent Venezuela. They're like, why is he even talking about this? This is, like, a distraction because he's a coward about, you know, backing down from the border argument. It's just crazy that Ann Coulter is going way more against Trump now than Alex Jones is. Like, Alex Jones <laughs> is still in his fucking pocket. It's even weirder, too, that there's been all these falling outs. I mean, you mentioned Owen Benjamin earlier. Him and Alex Jones are now enemies uh, because Owen Benjamin thinks he's controlled by, quote, the Jews. Jerome Corsi and Alex Jones are now enemies. Roger Stone says that Jerome Corsi is senile. I mean, all the it's like they're all it's like a circular firing squad kind of because now mm-hmm. what's happened mm-hmm. is Alex Jones and Roger Stone have had a falling out. It's done. This just came out. But Roger Stone has fallings out with everyone. I feel like yeah. he's such a, you know. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's he's a total snake. He's He's a rat fucker. Total total totally disloyal. I've never really seen anyone be able to take that much authority and have Alex Jones defer to his authority that much in Alex Jones's career. He really got wooed by Stone. And now that Stone is sort of, you know, under the hammer of the law, he actually said live on a radio show the other day, I think a couple days ago, he's worried about Alex Jones now because Alex Jones said in the Sandy Hook uh, lawsuit that he has psychosis. And then he's also disappointed that Alex Jones is not selling his support Roger Stone's legal defense merchandise anymore on the Infowars store. He took it all down. And then he continued on basically saying that he thinks Alex Jones is a liar. Yeah, he just like randomly threw out there. He's like, yeah, I'm also concerned that Alex Jones is spreading like dangerously fake news about like people in clown masks kidnapping children for like a pedophile market. So this is, I guess uh, this, this is a Roger Stone having a falling out with Alex Jones. So that, I mean, that was pretty much <laughs> what he said on the radio. Um, so he's probably going to say more shit in the future. I can't wait to say what Alex Jones says back to him. Yeah, so that relationship is over, I guess. So Alex Jones stops, you know, selling his merch. <laughs> wow. Well, I just read that Paul Joseph Watson apparently is doing his own network now. I don't know the details for that. 
But uh, this comes after this deposition that was filmed that was really difficult to watch of Alex Jones being interrogated about the Sandy Hook, his Sandy Hook, um, you know, propaganda basically to delegitimize the the reality of that event and say that it was a staged false flag. So, and then he got booed out of that restaurant. It just seems like things are unraveling for him, and he just keeps doubling down, though. Not on the Sandy Hook stuff, but just on the Trump stuff. That video of him in that chicken restaurant was fucking hard to watch. That was really weird. I know, dude. Yeah, the fact that he gets so upset, though. Man, I mean, that must be a tough existence in Austin at this point. He used to be probably revered as just like this kooky, like offbeat, you know, yeah. alt media guy. And now he's just like widely loathed. And Paul Joseph Watson is still working for InfoWars, even though he's launching his own site. But I find it hilarious. You must have a lot of money, a lot of blood money to open your own site. Oh, well, you know what I mean? Well, think about it. I mean, he's been working for Alex Jones longer than almost anyone else. He's stuck it out this whole time. I mean, Jesus Christ, can you imagine? I mean, the deposition, I have mixed feelings about it because, I mean, yeah, he does look like a complete liar. I mean, I, obviously, he's a pathological liar. He's not going to take accountability for anything. But at the same time, so I watched like about an hour of the deposition. I didn't watch the whole thing. It's three hours long if anybody wants to actually watch it. But I also watched a lawyer examine the deposition and give his commentary on it. And he made a lot of good points that actually, to me, kind of make me think that this lawsuit is more for the court of public opinion rather than a serious lawsuit in and of itself. Because the lawyer was saying there was just some weird aspects of the deposition, like that a lawyer is never supposed to like show an edited together presentation like that in the deposition. So it can give Alex Jones's defense attorneys the wiggle room to be like, well, those clips were edited. Like, like where was that taken from? Like where this is taken out of context. So the fact that the lawyer didn't label clearly and just have individual clips of Alex Jones's statements, I think was like hurtful to their case. Yeah, he was just trying to get an emotional response. Exactly. It was very weird because it was like clips that were like five seconds long. And it's like, dude, just play the whole clip. I mean, it's not like he's going to sound better if no, you play exactly, the rest of exactly. the context. Yeah. No, I mean, it's um, it, it, it was it was strange. So the lawyer kind of made me look at that differently and say, well, actually, he Alex Jones's defense attorneys kind of actually have a point. I mean, I mean, not that they're, you know, Alex Jones is a liar, but they could that that kind of gives him the upper hand. Also, the guy kept saying, this is the line of questioning he was asking Alex Jones. I mean, you and I know that this would have, it was a bad line of questioning if we had heard it. I must have missed this when I watched it. But the lawyer was like, you were the first person in the world to suggest Sandy Hook was a false flag mass shooting. Were you not? And Alex Jones was like, well, I don't know if I'm the, I don't think I was the first person. They were, ha they were happening even before that. So like, why would... Why would the lawyer ask him a question like that? I, I, I just found that annoying. Yeah, that's really dumb. No, the, the lawyer was bad. It was all bizarre. Um, I think that just it was just funny that um, what came out of it was Alex Jones just basically saying I like had like a psychotic break yeah. and thought that everything was just like staged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he brings up Operation Northwoods as a defense for why there is some basis in truth that mass shootings are staged. And he, and he basically references a non-existent part of Operation Northwoods as his defense. 
I just thought that was what amusing. What is the non-existent part? Oh, just saying that there's the U.S. government talks about staging. He was referring to the mass terror campaigns in Miami as the basis for him saying that that Operation Northwoods talked about staging like mass shootings at schools, which it doesn't. That's a really big leap, dude. But also it's just funny that he's using like some anti-communist terrorist plot, like a false right? flag plot that got revealed. And then now he's just a super anti-communist, like encouraging the same sort of CIA warfare on Venezuela today. Exactly. Great job, dude. It's so weird. It's so wildly inconsistent. So bizarre. He's twisted himself in so many knots. I mean, it's yeah, he's he's taking himself down. I mean, it's it really ultimately is all his fault. You mentioned Grand Theft Auto, and you just mentioned the fact that Alex Jones is promoting an invasion of Venezuela. So I just wanted to get this out of the way that, you know, we haven't even talked about the fact that there was this six-day blackout in Venezuela. It was right on the cusp of, of course, like this month-and-a-half coup attempt that was failing where Waido was just able to cosplay as a president of a country for two months gallivanting around the world. Um, you know, stealing all this money, siphoning the wealth, uh, and trying to delegitimize a sitting elected president. Now, when these uh, electrical shortages and blackouts were happening, and, and it happened after that too, it like kept happening. In fact, there was another one on March 25th. There was another um, b- breakdown of the electrical grid. Now, authorities claimed that there was cyber attacks. They, they pointed to the U.S. They said this is obviously a cyber attack. They claim that they had evidence to prove that. The evidence has not fully been revealed, and therefore I'm not going to validate that claim like with 100% confirmation. But um, I wanted to just read this really quickly from Venezuela Analysis. Um, Venezuela suffered a series of widespread power outages with the government denouncing cyber, electromagnetic, and physical attacks on the electric grid. Fast forward to March 25th. Authorities claim the system suffered a cyber attack followed by an explosion of a transformer allegedly caused by sniper fire. They claimed, uh, again, authorities, meaning they, um, were the result of electromagnetic attacks against the transmission lines. And then it follows up to just say um, Venezuela's electricity infrastructure has suffered from underinvestment and lack of maintenance as well as migration of qualified personnel problems that have been severely compounded by U.S. sanctions. Sanctions have stopped Venezuela from servicing equipment and from having the necessary fuel to activate backup thermoelectric power plants. Yeah, Venezuela analysis, really an arm of the government, right? (laughs) Here they are just clearly talking about how, no, I mean, the government has been culpable of not, you know, retrofitting these power plants effectively. Um, But, you know, people will even Wido himself like threaten Venezuela analysis for promoting the government line. But like it's clear that they don't do that. They're very fair. So anyway, Wido was encouraging these widespread protests. And then you had Mike Pompeo, John Bolton, Micro Marco just kept boasting about the power outage. That's what was so interesting. I was like, huh, interesting that this happens right in the midst, you know, amidst the CIA coup attempt. That's odd, right? Yeah. And then what's also odd is that you have all these U.S. officials foaming at the mouth, um, like basically almost insinuating and like they're bragging that they were responsible. You had Mike Pompeo saying, no food, no medicine, now, no power, next, no Maduro. It's like, okay, well, sanctions have really caused no food and no medicine. So what are you saying about this no power thing, dude? It's really, yeah, it's really, really disturbing because this to me implies that they are escalating and they're not going to stop. I don't know how long they're going to try this for, but they're 
they're trying to provoke, they're going to keep trying to do regime change, and they're just going to try to keep escalating this, and it's very frightening. So the only thing we can do is just keep talking about it and keep bringing light to it and just keep resisting it. But it's very dangerous. This coup attempt that they tried earlier, I, I don't know why some people thought that it was a failure. Uh, maybe I mean, temporarily it was perhaps, but I mean, I feel like a lot of these things are really mapped out. Like they've probably had all these plans already laid out. Maybe we're only like one fourth into their agenda so far of what they're actually, the CIA actually has planned there. So I just think it's, it's wise to be very concerned about what's going to happen next. Right. And you had, um, Joanna Hausman, this woman who keeps getting paraded by like the New York times and all of these publications, she is a very well-off expat. I think she was actually born in like London. She never even lived in Venezuela, but she keeps releasing these, these videos basically geared toward us, like geared toward the left and people who are daring to protest, you know, us regime change action. Cause she actually shows the answer rallies <laughs> And she's like, what my fellow liberals don't get about Venezuela. Now, it's complete journalistic malpractice to not mention that her daddy was the former IMF director that trained Juan Guaido. Well, it looked this like guy a Vice would, video. would profit immensely. Yeah, this guy would profit immensely from um, overthrowing Maduro. So it just it's just discussing the slickness of this propaganda. So, I mean, you would think that they would even include that to, like, give themselves some cred because they know that, like, that's their audience, you know, like IMF whatever, like George, you know, Georgetown people and shit, but they don't even do that, which, which means that they actually purposefully omitted it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's extremely deliberate propaganda. I mean, it does, you know, make you question if all these journalists are just willing participants or willfully dumb, or if some of them are actually like fucking plants, like who would even set this up? I mean, it's just so crazy. It, it is just to right. me mind blowing. It's not it's not b babies being thrown out of incubators level, but it's similar because it's like a relative. It's it, yeah of what, right. it, what you're right. saying. I mean, right. it's, exactly. That's what's so fucking weird about it. It's it does seem like what they're trying to do is they're trying to. This is again targeted at the left and not. I mean, not the left. Like literally. I mean, just like the left side of the spectrum, liberals neoliberals, just like the Syria psyops were. This is made to confuse the narrative and make people on the left and, you know, Democrats um, believe that there's a legitimate reason to overthrow Maduro. And that's, I mean, I think that's what this is all designed to do. That's what's, like, who is it coming right. from then? Is it coming from the Trump administration? Right, no. Is it coming from think tanks? Is it coming mm -hmm. from the military industrial complex? I just, it just creeps me out. Well, again, it's the uniformity of and the lining up of the establishment, even behind someone like Trump, someone that they claim is a Russian Manchurian candidate when yeah. it comes to an endless military budget, when it comes to regime change in Venezuela. So it is creepy, very, very creepy, because you don't really understand how this all gets activated. Um, but one more quick comment about that video is that she starts it off by saying the media is sanitizing Maduro. It's like, what media are you talking about, dude? Like literally no media is doing that. No one. So it's just so weird. It's like they've been rabidly anti-Maduro. So yeah. she's literally talking about like democracy you. now. Like that it just shows <laughs> you how insane this is that yeah. the New York Times put together this video to talk to people like real news democracy now and us. That's how fucked up this shit is, man. 
No, it's just a total distortion of reality. Yeah, it's a complete upside down inversion of reality. Um, And they're just hoping it'll work. The reason I even brought up um, Grand Theft Auto is because Call of Duty, Call of Duty used to be about World War II, killing Nazis just like Wolfenstein. In 2007, it became more about current wars, you know, when the Iraq war was bigger, Afghanistan was picking up. And then it started to include hypothetical wars, China, etc. The version that came out in 2013 showed a U.S. military attack on Venezuela's electrical grid. Um, at that point, I guess the Pentagon wasn't officially contributing to the game's creation or ad- advising on it. But in 2014, they officially started. So maybe that was where they were like, oh, this is a good idea. And then, and then apparently they recruited the writer to work for the DOD. It's so crazy. I mean... I'm sure on some level there was the CIA or somebody was like feeding them stories. I mean, that's, that's just too absurd and it's just so creepy. I mean, I keep saying how creepy these things are, but they are because who's doing this (laughs) shit. I mean, the fact that they had this happening in 2013 in the game and that would have been during the Obama administration is just insane. Right, and right at the same time that Obama declared Venezuela a national security threat, remember, randomly? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if this was the U.S. government. I would say that it's safe to assume that anything that happens in Venezuela, that would be the first and foremost target that we should immediately look at before you assume anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, of course, the opposition as a cover for whatever the Trump regime is feeding them. Or oil but companies. To give some credence <laughs> to what I'm saying, or oil companies, yeah, the oil company, the PR campaigns that are going on there, The, I mean, all of these entities have the ability to do this. But to give credence to what I'm also saying is that because this blackout was used as like the new pretext for the coup and, the, and it just keeps happening it's really important to remember what happened to Allende again, because shortly before the U.S. overthrew Allende, there were also major blackouts going on in Chile, coupled, of course, with that widespread CIA sabotage to, quote, make the economy scream that Henry Kissinger, who was the secretary of state at the time, was implementing. This was revealed in many documents. In 1973, the New York Times talks about these attacks on the electrical grid during several giant speeches to address the country's political and economic crisis. Um, After it got restored during one of these big speeches, Allende cited it as part of a long list of recent attacks of terrorism and sabotage that he attributed to, quote, the fascist opposition, which included, as we know today, you know, the funding of left workers movements, unions, to try to pretend like he had like this big left opposition. So, it shouldn't be too much of a stretch of the imagination to, you know, to think that the CIA is still doing this today when this is literally what happened. It's so reminiscent. Again, surreal, eerie. There's not enough words to explain how creepy this is. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but it's a good, it reminds me of the that Karl Rove quote from the Bush administration about we we create realities. And when you're studying these realities, we just like create a new one. You'll just always be several steps behind and never be able to like figure out what's going on. It's still happening. It's still just as sophisticated as it used to be, if not more, because things are just so much more confusing. These narratives are easier to weave through the media landscape because things are just so much more convoluted. We're being blasted with more and more media. So it just gets sort of lost. It's more murky. I feel like their job is easier to do and their, their level of sophistication has grown. 
When I say they, I mean whoever these entities are, corporations, the military industrial complex, defense companies, oil companies, the U.S. government, CIA. It's So it is very disturbing how this stuff comes out. I mean, it is that is so crazy that in 2013, a Call of Duty video game had a mission to disrupt a hydroelectric dam in Venezuela. Yeah. Is that what it was? I mean, <laughs> fucking nuts. I just can't believe that. Unreal. Absolutely unreal. I, I know that you deleted this from the timeline, but I think it is really crazy that the Trump administration solicited Candace Owens to come testify. Was that I mean, the Trump that administration? Not... Well, do you want to talk about that? I, I mean, but all I know is that she was brought there. That's part of the reason I deleted it is because I was like, whoever brought her there wanted her to get press. And it's like, it doesn't even matter at this point for this alt-right, this right-wing billionaire, like Turning Point USA crowd people of people, if it's bad press or good press. They, it's like they understand on a certain level, just like Trump does, that if they just generate controversy, it just gets them press. I mean, but, that, but that's just so crazy that she was invited to Congress to testify on hate crimes, was it? I mean, to me, it makes no difference that that guy Ted Lieu played her bizarre, dumbass rant on Hitler on the floor. I mean, he played a tape recording of her basically saying that Hitler would have been good if he stayed a nationalist or some crazy shit like that. I still feel like it's a big win for the right wing media circus because even to get some like someone like her in Congress in the first place is just an insane level of publicity to get. Like, how did that even happen? You never see anybody from the left, the extreme left uh, or the far left get attention like that ever. It's unheard of. Well, because she isn't. She's in the highest office of power. I mean, Trump is her spiritual advisor. So it's like this is this is completely top down shit. Um, and she was. This is the most fascinating part of this entire thing is that she actually was called to testify on a on hate crimes and white nationalism. This had to have been like a top-down thing. Like, it's had to have been like the Trump administration got involved and told them to get, bring her in. That doesn't yeah, seem like the no, GOP and, yeah. sitting Congress members would have thought of on their own. That's fucking unbelievable to me. And it's honestly just so she can belittle the idea and be like, that doesn't exist. So they could just have a token black person in there being like, there is no rise of white nationalism. It's extremely I know. surreal. Well, no, it's just, it's so, such a setup. Such a setup. And she has such a strange past. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I, I almost even regret talking about her at all. But she has strange origins as a, as a liberal who launched onto the scene by suing her college uh, for like a racial harassment campaign. She won a lawsuit. She basically became um, this activist, I guess, who launched this website called Social Autopsy, which was about anti-bullying, and it was designed so that you can dox people who were, like, bullying you online. And people from the left and the right were both like, what the hell is this website? This is a terrible idea. Like, why would you do this? And strangely, the account for Social Autopsy, this is Candace Owens' website from, like, two or three years ago, started just randomly tweeting one day about how all these Gamergate feminists were going to, like, get revealed soon for being, like, the hateful racist they are or something like this. 
And it was like evident, like within like the first few weeks of this website's social media presence, that it was like somehow ran by someone who was getting really right wing into the Gamergate fiasco. And that was apparently her shift to the right originally <laughs> was Gamergate. So she was just super inspired it's by so weird. Gamergate. Yeah. And then she claims that she started getting messages from like the heads of the Gamergate, like who the people in Gamergate, the women who claimed were being harassed. She claimed that they were secretly sending like racist troll attacks against her, like saying the N word and Publish DMs it. to her and Publish stuff. Publish it, dude. Yeah. Well, she did. She published some of these comments and apparently she's claiming that they were, you know, sock puppets of the Gamergate leaders or whatever. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, mm. So, well, I can't say that she hoaxed some kind of victimization campaign against herself in this regard. It's still very odd and that that was sort of how she became famous in the first place. And Jesse Signal was sort of the guy who was giving her a lot of publicity back then as well uh, during this whole fiasco. So it's just an odd trajectory that a lot of these people, you know, once again, they start liberal or they start in the Occupy movement. Then all of a sudden they're alt-right Trump people or they're like, ant, you know, their whole thing is about anti-social justice warrior clickbait videos. So just once again, well, another. It is, yeah, it is really. It's so weird, too, that a lot of them start with generating fake campaigns like Milo generated all that attention on himself because he was arguing with himself. Remember oh, from yeah, that yeah, sock yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he had he's and he wow. and he joked around later about it. He had no shame about the fact that he used to start fake arguments with himself using sock puppets. Like really really early into his like social media presence as well. Like this is how he would generate controversy about himself way in the beginning is have fake arguments with himself. These people are great at I mean manipulating um the me you know sort of the way the media works. Very disturbing that she even got that kind of attention. I mean, she was the number one trending topic on Twitter for like maybe 24 hours straight that day. Oh my God. In the mess of all this, you know, the Jussie Smollett thing that happened that the right-wing media seized on for uh, like a whole month. You know, they talked about that. That was their number one story for a month is how he apparently hoaxed this, you know, hate crime against himself which we still don't even really know what really happened. I mean, it's such a weird story. I, I think it seems kind of hoaxy to me, mainly because it was preceded by a fake, you know, a fake anthrax letter that came to his house. Um, I always just have to think, I have to look deeper anytime I hear about an anthrax letter, just because of my history with studying anthrax, you know, the anthrax tax. This happened about two weeks ago in San Francisco, and the right-wing media also managed to sort of bury this story by seizing on mistakes or, you know, uh, the, a history of the so-called liberal media exaggerating hate crimes, as they would say, or whatever. The SF Chronicle uh, ran a headline that was an error. They made a mistake in the headline saying, and I'm not quoting the exact headline, but it said some, something like, man in MAGA hat slashed with sword. And immediately the right wing was like, oh, my God, the liberals are doing terrorist attacks. This is like an Antifa terrorist attack on a, on a Trump supporter in SF. <laughs> the headline was immediately corrected within like an hour and changed to the headline, man in MAGA hat slash someone with sword. So the reality was what actually happened in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago was a man wearing a MAGA hat 
was hanging out outside of a gay roller disco night in San Francisco, which is a weird place for a Trump supporter to be hanging out in the first place. And he just had a sword? Apparently, I know the story, like, but he, I'm just confused. He like, had like a sheath, like whatever those like th- like little things are where you could pull a sword out of. So it wasn't wow. visible. He wasn't just holding it originally, apparently. Right, right, It's like right. a machete style thing. From what I, I mean, I don't know all the details. There weren't a lot of details that were released. But it's just weird that he was probably out in front of this gay roller disco night trying to start shit in the first place. You know, he's outside of this, this um, roller disco night. He's confronted by someone from within inside the, the club. Uh, they knock his hat off his head. And as response, uh, he actually took out a sword-like knife and slashed the guy on the hand, almost severing his hand. Um, and he ran Holy off into a park. Shit! The guy was in critical condition. I mean, he could have died uh, from this injury. And the right just seized on this. And even after the headline was corrected, even after all the details came out, proving that this was a real thing, there were several witnesses, the police reports, saying that the guy was wearing a MAGA hat who had the sword. The right just ran with the original error headline. And we're like, this is a Jussie Smollett thing. This is a, a setup. The picture looks too perfect. Like it was all over 4chan because the picture showed like a MAGA hat on the ground next to a puddle of blood. And it was a really gruesome looking picture. And they were all saying it was fake. So, and then the story just like disappeared. Like I haven't even heard about this. Totally. It's re- just oh odd. Oh my God, that this, you're totally right. That just, just completely disappeared from the headlines and the Jesse Smollett it completely dominated it. So I don't know. It's just another example of how good the right wing is at spinning everything to their advantage. So they're so good at it. Especially since everything is just can be fake. Yeah. Now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, anything is just fake. Cue the emergency room expert experts. Cue the blood spatter experts. I mean, all these people just will believe whatever they want because we're living in a false paradigm mass hallucination. And, and yeah, it does show how well and how efficient the right wing maintains the narrative and controls the narrative. And, of course, we know that liberals just cover for that. Like, I didn't see the liberal media... Um, make this a big story with all the fear about Trump and all of the stuff that's going on. You would think that they would be constantly talking about this. Yeah. remember when this guy almost got his hand sliced off by a guy wielding a sword. He went there to do that shit. He went there to start a fight and stab someone with a sword. That's why that guy was there. This story would be the only thing the right wing would carry for the next two years, if there really was an Antifa guy with a sword that almost chopped the hand off of a Trump supporter. Absolutely. You would hear nothing about anything except this story to carry Trump to the fucking White House in 2020. No, there's- Because this is one story out of, out of hundreds of stories, and it just gets completely swept up behind all this other shit that's going on on a daily basis. This is insane. On some level... You know, even like the generic liberal left still acts in better faith for the most part than this, like these weird, this weird class of like right wing agitators. Well, it's a primal, crazy tribalistic mentality to even be a maggot shud and be, you know, really passionate about Antifa as like a real threat anyway. So it really shows you the mentality of these people. But I think it just really, really just shows very clearly um, once again essentially every other right-wing grifter who pretends like they're a liberal, like Dave Rubin and people like that, who just constantly fear-monger 
about liberals and the left. There's not one instance of like left terrorism or left violence against any one of these right wingers since Trump got elected. But there are countless incidents of rabid Trump supporters either mowing people down with their cars, slicing people's hands off with swords, attacking people, um, running up to people on the street with racial slurs. This is going on on a daily basis. My like I said, my friend got his knees knocked out um, and was on crutches for six months because Proud Boys targeted him after a socialist meeting in New York. And it's still conflated as somehow equal and not even just equal by these idiotic grifters. They're actually minimized as, no, the left is the real dangerous threat. Really? Because people are actually dying and people are getting their body parts and limbs sliced off with swords. Yeah. And Muslims are getting massacred. Wake the fuck up. Yep. You, should we go talk about the Ilhan Omar? Yeah. Incitement shit? Yeah, now? dude. Jesus I mean, Christ. Because it seems like. I mean, like, this is, yeah, perfect, perfect segue, actually. Because it really does seem like. Go for it. And I guess I'll start this by saying, and this is just upfront, I'll get some of the criticisms and weird commentary out of the way because there are some alternate takes out there that I think are worthy of looking into. Sam Husseini has some interesting things to say about Ilhan Omar. She is a politician. I'm not going to wholeheartedly endorse her as a politician. I think as a human being, as a Muslim, as what she represents, I completely support her. I stand with her and what is happening to her. But as a politician, I don't know what, what her voting record is going to be a year from now. So just getting that out of the way, check out Sam Husseini's piece if you want to see the intelligent critique um, on what's going on. Other than that, I do think it's a little bit crazy too that so many people from the mainstream media are agreeing with the idea that this is an incitement of violence um, that Trump is trying to do with this with this video against her and with riling up the right-wing media against her. I do think it is a little bit strange that they're going along with that. And I don't think that they're doing that necessarily in good faith because they would have never really stood up for Muslims before. So just getting that out of the way, let's let's get into the discussion. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So let's talk about what happened. She spoke at a care event. I've spoken at a care event in the past. They're a great organization um, that has stood up for the civil liberties of Muslims, especially in a post 9-11 world. Um, that's why it was created as an organization. Um, she discussed there in this keynote speech her experience as a Muslim in America after 9-11, not just being a Muslim, but being a Somali refugee. Imagine how difficult that is, coming here as a Somali refugee, choosing to wear a hijab. She actually chose to do that after 9-11 to assert her own identity. Basically, she just discusses the vilification and demonization as a whole, you know, we're talking about 1.6 billion people in the world that were then conflated as extremists, as terrorists by people like Sam Harris, Ben Shapiro. I mean, you know, the list go is, goes on for infinity with the people who conflated that notion, um, the normalization of Islamophobia in a post 9-11 world. And of course, as we know, the complete um, eradication of civil liberties with the Patriot Act, the Military Commissions Act, the NDAA and subsequently the attempted Muslim ban. Actually, not even attempted. It has been upheld by the Supreme Court. I don't know what the status is of letting in 
um, Muslims from those countries that were listed on the ban. So we're talking about her entering Congress as a woman of color, as a hijab-wearing Muslim refugee from one of the countries that Trump has tried to ban Muslims from coming in. So she kind of epitomizes and personifies all of the hatred and vitriol of the entire Republican Party, of Trump, his entire base. Um, and it's really scary. She has a target on her fucking back at every second. And oh, so the whole point of this is that um, someone picked a part of her speech saying some people did something, meaning, you know, people who committed whatever, hijacked the planes and flew them into the World Trade Centers. Those were the people that did this act. Of course, we can go on all day about Saudi Arabia, et cetera, et cetera. But she was just saying these people did this and we got punished collectively as a Muslim population, as 1.6 yeah. million people on the planet. We all got demonized. That's what she was saying. Context pretty important. And so, my God, the context is, is crucial. The traumatization, the re-traumatization of 9-11 and showing these ghastly fucking images of these buildings exploding? And people, 3,000 people dying? I'm sure everyone who lived in New York knew someone who died or knew of someone who died or was close to someone who lost someone. It affected everyone there. And plus they breathed in the toxic dust. To actually have the audacity and the gall to say she is minimizing 9-11. She lived and breathed 9-11 and she has experienced the aftermath of 9-11 that we will never understand or relate to as Americans, as white people, as privileged empire babies. Yes, she's a politician. Yes, she has a lot of political standing. And yes, um, there is, you know, that that part of it. But this is um, really, really scary, Robbie, because not only the New York Post, but Trump himself to target Elon Omar like this. Um, not only, you know, several tweets that Trump made and especially the one that was doctored with Elon Omar's speech saying some people did something and then it yeah. shows just the towers keeps repeating her over saying over and over and over again keep in the in the thing people really need to watch the video because it just keeps repeating her out of taken out of context saying some people did something cut to a clip of like planes hitting the World Trade Center some people did something cut to a clip of the World Trade Center collapsing and it keeps zooming into, into her face too each time so it's it is like very much designed to and and this is something that I just on a gut level felt while watching it I have no evidence to suggest this but it did seem to almost fit into the mold of something more along the lines of like Israeli Hasbara than a typical right-wing propaganda thing I could be completely wrong about that it did seem particularly hateful and designed to really make you scared of this black Muslim woman. Like just her face, like some people did something and zoom into her face even more each cut. It's tapping into all of the things that rile them up the most. I mean, a passionate woman is tapping into that misogyny. It's tapping into the you know racism against Muslims. She's a black woman. I mean, it, it is, it, it's just such the perfect distraction for him and it is also enabling all of his supporters to just just talk nonstop about this and uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez as well. I mean, it's almost like you know Ann Coulter is is one of the pundits who's chosen to just mostly continue to bash Trump and not let up. I'm not giving her any points for that at all. I'm just saying she's actually going after Trump for like you know betraying her on illegal immigration, you know, or whatever. 
But all these other right wingers, instead of like putting any heat on Trump at all, it's like now what they're doing is they're just all talking about Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to take all their focus away from, you know, having to defend Trump on a 24-7 basis. Now they're just kind of talking about them. It's kind of an easy way for them, I feel like, to just transition over to something else. But uh, but no, I mean, it is so what you're saying is totally true. It is. They're trying to incite violence against her. Um, and it is really, really scary that we're, you know, 17 and a half, 18 years after 9-11. And this is this is where we're at now. She was already getting death threats almost daily. That's what her office said. And this was actually, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that this happened, this fascist incitement to violence from the sitting president, the most powerful person in the fucking world. I think this was actually the same day that someone was actually charged with uh, threatening to kill her. So yeah, this shows you how much they don't care. Not only do they not care, but they are trying actively and knowingly to get her killed. Yeah. Um, all of the threats today, she said that the threats are off the charts. They're getting so many a day that they can't control them. And all of them are referencing Trump's tweet. Of course. Um, Fox News and Trump supporters don't care that this woman could get killed. They don't care. They know that. They are sitting with that. They actually don't care. Can I? Um, just like Heather Heyer, th this is an inevitability. This is what is going to inevitably happen. Just like the fake bomb, quote unquote, fake bombs versus real bombs. Rhetoric matters. Yeah. I mean, here, here's the thing. I mean, and I just want to say we don't do this normally on the podcast, but just a, like a trigger warning for anybody who out there who doesn't want to hear actual people making death threats against Ilhan Omar. This is just from, I don't even know if this is a Twitter moments. I, I someone somehow compiled actual Twitter death threats from real people. I'm just going to, you know, name these Twitter handles, I guess, because I mean, I might as well, if I'm going to read some of these and they're go for it, they're really, really disturbing. So these are real people Within the last few weeks, this is someone named John Norman at John 8665913 saying, I'm surprised she hasn't succumbed to a case of lead poisoning, uh, meaning I'm surprised no one's shot her yet. This is someone named My Info Jerry Walker at My Info Jerry WAL1 on Twitter. He says, Reinstate the guillotine and coat with pig blood. Omar is a traitor to this country. Holy. Wow. Uh, here's someone named NPC number 19256. He tweets at her, at Ilhan MN. I will rip your scarf off in front of the nation and dump pig's blood all over you. <gasps> here's someone named at C. Tarian. Someone ought to spray you with pig's blood, put you out of your delusional misery. And then they just, there's so many people oh who God. repeat this pig's blood thing. It's really bizarre. I didn't even realize that was such a trope still. Well, Trump yeah. popularized that stuff again, remember? Yep. Um, here's someone named Bill Moore at Moore underscore Bill on April 13th. He says, put this bitch down hard. Here's someone named Mitchell John Lowe <sighs> uh, at Mitchell John L-O-2 on Twitter. Ilhan MN needs to be hung. She's a traitor and a threat to the West. She's a pedophile-loving Muslim. 
Um, and it oh just keeps God. going and going and going. I mean, here's just I, just crazy death threats. Uh, Sony Wayne at Wayne underscore Sonny. I can't wait to see you and your kind strung up by your scaly necks with these POS dirty towels you wear around your worthless brain dead heads. True Americans will stand up and revolt before you and the pedophile Muhammad get your way. And he spells pedophile P-E-D-I-P-F-I-L-E. Uh, and people are saying she'd be hung, sprayed with pig's blood. I mean, it just keeps going on and on. I had There's not very many sexual death threats on this list, but I'm sure that there is those as well that we're just not seeing. Oh, yeah. Considering that when I just wore a shirt saying, fuck Chris Kyle, I had several people in ISIS-style graphic detail telling me what they wanted to do after they cut my clit off. Yeah. So I can only imagine, Robbie. Oh, my God, yeah. I can only imagine. And these are all being tweeted at and, her by people, like real people. I mean, right. it's, that's, that's crazy. So we're seeing actual, these are like real tweets. These aren't even screenshots. They're still online. So you can't even imagine oh, wow. how many more there must be that have already been taken down and anonymous ones sent to her phone or her answering machine at Congress or whatever. I mean, like, so these are like public tweets from real people who the FBI can probably immediately look up and visit their house. And to actually say that this is a minimization of the tragedy of 9-11, I'm sorry, you are engaging in an endless slaughter in the Middle East and there's not one person in Congress other than, you know, no, actually, I can't think of one person who wants to, again, end all the wars, close all the bases, bring home all the troops. Or what about and just... actually calls out... Yeah. Or what about just an unequivocal end to the war on terror? Like, this is an illogical premise. Like, like, yeah, like... That's what I'm saying. So the exploitation, the endless exploitation of 9-11 to slaughter endlessly people of color, that's not minimizing the tragedy? No. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's it's just so fucking hypocritical. Everyone, and I just haven't seen very many good takes on this. We, You and I have very specific opinions on this. And I, and I don't think a lot of people share them about how the entire framework of what the war on terror is needs to be fundamentally challenged. It was not, I still see people saying that, you know, it's like, why is Ilhan Omar being attacked for this when we're the ones who invaded the wrong country instead of the right country as a response to 9-11? And it's like, well, what? I don't even understand. That's a bad framework. There is no right country to invade as a response to 9-11. There was never a right country. That's what's so yeah, fucked up. Yeah, just like, didn't you respond to Roke? Ro Khanna when he was like, we need to end the bad wars. Yeah. And you were like, that, what are you talking no, about? No, what, what good wars? I mean, World War II, maybe, if that's the only one you want to... But that's one out of, like, hundreds. And, and, and no, I don't think Saudi Arabia, you know, was behind 9-11. I don't think we should have attacked Saudi Arabia or anything like that. I, I think the United States government, at the very least, had ample opportunities to stop it. And strangely, the Bush administration did everything they could seemingly to just ignore all the warnings. So, yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to minimize 9-11 or accuse someone of minimizing 9-11, it was the Bush administration for not only minimizing all the warnings and ignoring them and to a ridiculous degree, but also by trying to cover up the attacks afterwards. And having Philip Zelikow write the synopsis for the conclusions of the 9-11 commission before it had even started. So... That's what I call minimizing 9-11, doing like a kangaroo commission 
Yeah, I call bringing Henry Kissinger, one of the world's premier war criminals, to lead a commission for truth and reconciliation about 9-11. That's bullshit. And And you know what else is minimizing 9-11? Taking away the Victims' Compensation Fund and giving $100 billion to Saudi Arabia to kill more Yemenis. Yeah, people like Rudy Giuliani and even David Frum have the gall to call out Ilhan Omar's 9-11 comments right now. Rudy Giuliani... I mean, it isn't a joke. It isn't a conspiracy theory. It isn't an exaggeration. He actually could have saved almost all the firefighters' lives who were trapped in either of the buildings, um, especially when the second tower collapsed because the firefighters who were in that second tower, a lot of them had no idea that that the other tower had already collapsed, and they could have had ample warning to basically escape with their lives. But what happened was Rudy Giuliani bought radios for them that were like malfunctioning and couldn't communicate. If they had upgraded the radios to the proper radios that they had requested, a lot of firefighters' lives could have been saved. And he had spent millions and millions of dollars doing all these bizarre anti-terror drills, you know, with the New York City budget. But for some reason, he couldn't have done this. So there are a lot of firefighters who don't think Rudy Giuliani is a hero, and his, you know, this idea that he was this hero of 9-11, I mean, he profited immensely off of 9-11 and the anthrax attacks. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Some people did something. Yeah. Some people did a lot of shit, dude. Yeah. And then David Frum, he wrote an article in The Atlantic saying that Democrats are getting sucked into the defending Ilhan Omar trap. And in it, he tries to basically tie her to ISIS. This is how, what a piece of shit he still is. I mean, what am I I saying? He still is. Of course, he's always going to be a piece of shit. He's a monster. Um, But here's what he says in the Atlantic article. Omar's co-headliner at the California fundraising event was a lawyer named Hassan or Shibli. Shibli is the lawyer for Hada Mathana, a New Jersey-born woman who married an ISIS fighter, proclaimed her adherence to ISIS in writing, and now seeks to return to the United States. Mathana's case turns on technicalities of the citizenship laws. Shibli has stressed his own condemnation of ISIS and Mathana's choice to join it. And then he makes this sound like um, he has extremist views against Jews, saying that Shibli, this person, tweeted... God is my witness. Israel and its supporters are enemies of God and humanity. How many more children must Israel kill for you to see? Hashtag Gaza. Um, so he's making it seem like Ilhan Omar, because she took the stage with this, this lawyer uh, who represented the wife of an ISIS fighter. I mean, he's basically trying to do like guilt by association, six degrees of separation from Ilhan Omar to ISIS. So it's just more crazy neocon Islamophobic crap under the guise of, you know, maybe the Democrats should, uh, shouldn't get into this trap because, because maybe she is a little bit more extreme than we realize. Fuck David from. Yeah. Elon Omar is amazing. Um, and I think I'm probably biased because she not only is not stopping and really just kind of stepping up and not backing down. She also promoted Empire Files. And I'm not just saying this as, you know, I know that that's kind of journalistic malpractice to just be like, oh, I like this person because they promoted me. But it showed a lot that she promoted Empire Files and then didn't back down when people viciously, viciously attacked her for it. Yeah. Conflated her doing that with how I'm a crazy lunatic conspiracy theorist. Um, what I said about 9-11. They tried to edit her Wikipedia. They wrote 
at least five articles from establishment Beltway publications trying to smear her by proxy for promoting me. And that was even um, way this before. This is at the same time. That was before the. Yeah, no, this was, this was like right Benjamins? at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they want to use her as a prop by saying they embrace all, you know, the progressivism in, in the Congress and that they love people of color and look at the hijab. And, you know, she's on the cover of these magazines with Nancy Pelosi and AOC and Rashada Tlaib. Um, but it really, when these things happen, when push comes to shove, they all agree with the message, Robbie. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, oh, instead of saying this is a fascistic incitement to violence that is absolutely reprehensible her response agreed that what elon omar said was bad robbie she just said um the memory of 9-11 is sacred ground and any discussion of it must be done with reverence the president should not use the painful images of 9-11 for a political attack is she a robot is she a robot asshole this is this is what the representative of the Democratic Party that has been a gatekeeper for any left action, for any sort of progressive movement for my entire adult life. This is, this is the best she can do in defense of Elon Omar being fascistically targeted by like a brown shirt army. This is the best she can do, Robbie. It really says it all. That really says it all. And then, and then you follow up by Nancy Pelosi being interviewed by Leslie Stahl, I think, on 60 Minutes. And she brings up the five people who are in Congress that somehow got in as a reactionary, um, you know, kind of wave against Trump, people who would never um, have gotten in in a normal, you know, like in a normal time. Um, These people were propelled into Congress, like, kind of by chance. Um, And... Yeah, it doesn't, it, it's, again, I hate to like legitimize Congress and the Democratic Party and be like, look, anyone can do it. If they got in, then we can too. No, we know that's all fake. Absolutely not going to happen. And this just kind of proves it right there where Nancy Pelosi's act, asked by Leslie Stahl about these people. And she says, by and large, whatever orientation they came to Congress with, they know we have to hold the center. We have to go down the mainstream and Leslie Stahl was like, but you have these wings, you know, AOC and her group. And she was like, that's like five people. It's so weird. I was just thinking while you were saying all this that I don't remember any other like controversial Congress people being called out and put through the ringer to this degree, like within getting into office like this for saying like things that were semi-controversial. Did Ron Paul ever get like glommed onto and like sicked on by like everybody in Congress for saying the things he would say about Israel back in the day? No. I mean, he said some pretty controversial things about Israel on the House floor. There's video of it on C-SPAN. I mean, I so I, I don't it's just very interesting to me that she's getting and I don't even know if it's because it's just because she's a black Muslim woman. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I just find it really, really disturbing and also fascinating and at least someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is actually really taking a strong stance on this. I mean, she w- said to the press that she believes it's an incitement of violence. So right. that, you know, that made me happy to see that. Tulsi Gabbard actually finally came out and said it too. And people were like, why, why, what's taking good. her so That's long good. or whatever? But she finally came out and said something. So That's good. Yeah. So I, And then also Yemeni shopkeepers um, who run bodegas in New York— 
um, and in, on the East Coast uh, bo- are boycotting the New York Post right now and refusing to carry it. Good, good, yeah, good, good, good. Because this, we're not going to stand for this. And she even responded saying, I did not run for Congress to be silent. I did not run for Congress to sit on the sidelines. And then, you know, she goes on this big thread, and I'll just read the very end now. She says, thank you for standing with me against an administration that ran on banning Muslims from this country to fight for the America we all deserve. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just sad. You know, it's just really sad. It's like she is from one of the countries that Trump is, is, wants to ban. Like, so great, too, to think I'm if she actually nuts. watched your video, because like your video is such a good reminder of how much of a monster Trump was against just like all Muslims, just like in so much of more of an egregious way, actually, than he was against just like all Mexicans. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really made it seem like he was out for blood. I mean, like that one clip I played on, I think it was actually on our last episode where that guy was like, now what are we going to do about that? How are we going to get rid of these people? And Trump's like, "Um, I'm trying, I'm looking into it. The guy is literally implying that he wants to eradicate Muslims. And Trump just like responds to it as if the guy's asking a normal question. That's some scary shit. We're looking into it actually. Scary. We're really looking into it. Yeah. So let's wrap this up by just, you know, getting your thoughts on Pelosi following up to her abysmal failure and refusal to stand up for this, you know, woman, Elon Omar, to actually saying that these people mean nothing. Um, and, you know, while that's true that you need to hold down the line and that there's only five people in Congress, yeah, it is true that it's a miracle that there's five progressives who actually represent the mainstream of this country. They represent what the populace really believes. Um, So to, again, just dismiss what the majority of people in this country want and to just be like, that's five people. I mean, I think how much more are we going to keep buying into the insanity of voting within the Democratic Party and just buying in, buying in and having faith? This should prove to everyone Nancy Pelosi, for my entire adult life, has been blocking progressivism. Yeah. Blocked impeachment for George W. Bush. Blocked any, anything. She signed off on torture. She signed off on NSA warrantless spying. This is not our answer. Yeah. It's, a, it's time to organize outside of the two-party system, whether that means mobilizing in the streets for workers' rights, unions, anti-war, ending imperialism, um, all of these workers' movements and, and all of these mobilizations to generate some sort of third party alternative, whether it's ending the electoral college, rank choice voting. I just hope that we understand what we're up against and what's not the answer. And I'm not talking about not voting Trump out. This is, that's one thing that you do every two to four years. I'm talking about what you can do on a daily basis and what actually needs to be done. The legwork that needs to be done because these people ain't it, baby. Exactly what Abby just said. 100% endorse that and don't let your reality tunnel get too narrow and let it get distorted by not just the mainstream media, but also the alternative media as well. I mean, just try to keep a level head in all this and remember that the more far right Trump gets and the more crazy he acts, the more right the right goes, um, the easier it's going to be for the Democratic Party to be like, what? Look at the other side. Like we don't even have to. Right. Exactly. We don't even have to shift left because look how fucking we we're still comfortable enough to criticize Bernie Sanders' Medicare for all policies or whatever because you know we simply all we have to do is point to how extreme the right is and just sit back and you'll still vote for us. So 
Don't let them sit in that comfort. Remember that that's the reality tunnel they're trying to create, and it's it's really easy for them to do. Um, and they and they've done it pretty much every time. But I feel like it's way easier now than ever. Way easier. I mean, you thought that it was easy exactly. to just throw up John Kerry as, as like a punt and be like, hey, look at John Kerry. I mean, Bush is so fucking bad, right? Like, you're going to vote for this guy. But now it's just, it's way worse. I mean, because Trump is insane. Yeah, now we have like 30 people running in the in the primary. It's going to be a fun ride, guys. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah. Um, but uh, please, please, please subscribe to our mailing list, mediaroots.org. Please become a patron as well. We have awesome stickers available for $50 a month uh, Patreon donation. So check that out. We got new tiers, new love for y'all. Um, Patreon.com, Media Roots Radio. So check it out. Become a patron. And also subscribe so you never miss an episode. And uh, I am officially now running low on the first run of A Very Heavy Agenda DVDs. I just uh, opened my last box of the part one DVDs. So I have about 50 copies left of the entire set of my documentary film. I'm probably going to do another run, but I'm not sure when. So if you want a copy of the DVD still, try to order it in the next couple of months, because I probably won't be able to do this until after the summer. But it's still available streaming at a veryheavyagenda.com as well. So that'll always be available. So thanks for listening, everybody. Check it out. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, We will catch you next time. And we also have another episode uh, fully about the Assange situation and all of that. So that's why we didn't address it in this one. So check it out. Go to SoundCloud, iTunes, and give us a good rating and show some love. Peace. Peace.